You're listening to the Mindful Psychology Podcast, a podcast designed to explore mindfulness, psychology, neuroscience, and various aspects of holistic health. My name is Jen. I'm your host. I'm also a therapist, an educator, and a yoga teacher. Join me and brilliant guests as we explore various topics and offer you actionable steps so that you can be informed and intentional about your health and well-being. Now sit back, relax, maybe take a notebook out, and let's dive in. Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Mindful Psychology Podcast. My name is Jen, I'm your host and today we are joined by Meredith Prescott. Meredith, why don't you tell everyone who you are, what you do and all of that stuff. Hey Jen, thanks so much for having me, I so appreciate it. Um, My name is Meredith, Um, I'm a psychotherapist in New York City, that's where my practice is based. I mostly work with young adults and couples, I specialize in anxiety, relationship concerns and chronic illness. Okay, very interesting. And so how did you decide to get into those to those specialties? That's a really good question. So um, when I was a senior in college, I was studying psychology at University of Maryland. And I initially thought I wanted to do business and psychology combined, something like that. Um, and it was really my senior year when I was dealt with some um, unfortunate medical challenges at the time where I really reflected on you know, my experience with um, what I was going through and it really made me want to help others and give back. So that's when I decided that I wanted to pursue a degree in social work, which I did. And um, a lot of my experience during my placements for grad school was working in a hospital with cancer patients and doing counseling. And so that led me to do more of the clinical work, which I very much enjoyed. And then I worked at Mount Sinai for five years in the cancer center, um, counseling end-of-life cancer patients with um, gastrointestinal issues, Um, which then, as I was doing all of that, I was like, wow, there's so much to be said about end-of-life care and people's relationships and finding meaning and what's people's why and why do people do what they do and, you know, what's really important, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think as I kind of decided that I wanted to go on my own and start my own practice, I really use a lot of what I've learned around end-of-life care um, as a foundation for my work. Wow. That's a really beautiful blossom from what you were doing, right? Like that's such a nice thing that came about from that, right? Like you could have, I don't know. I don't, yeah, that's just really an inspiring direction that that took. I like that. I know. Yeah. So I know I've never thought that, you know, kind of my own life experiences in some ways would have shaped a lot of kind of who I am as a clinician and, you know, where I am, what I've chose, who I've chose to work with, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of population. And something about the dating piece and the relationship stuff outside of uh, my experiences at the hospital professionally, I've always just loved, you know, hearing about relationship stuff. Like in my life, I actually, fun fact, have set up three couples in my life that are, you know, all getting married or are married. Really? Now. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that's been for many, many, many years. But that's something of mine that I've always been passionate around love and wanting to set people up and finding, helping people find partners. Um, so that's kind of 
also a funny thing around what also drew me to the relationship work. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's dive into that a bit more, like the dating aspect of things. So why why do you love that, and how is it that you were able to set up these three successful couples? <laughs> I think it's I really love kind of understanding why people are the way they are, mm-hmm. and I think that's so crucial in setting somebody up for success with a romantic partner, right? And so I think I feel that I was always pretty blessed at like being self-aware and understanding people. And I think that allowed me to kind of think about who might be good for certain friends of mine Mm -hmm. over the years. Okay. That makes sense. Um, And I just think, you know, some of us have a really easy time dating. Some of us don't, you know, right. Like sometimes it's a little bit of luck. Sometimes it's, you know, we create what, um, is familiar to us in our paths, right? Like the relationships that we know. Definitely. Um, there's so much that goes into relationships. Um, and so I felt, I felt so passionate that, you know, other people have a chance at love. And if I could contribute in any way, I, I wanted to. Definitely. I love that very much. And how does that translate into the work that you do? So obviously that was not a professional thing that you had done, right? <laughs> to set up these people. But how does that translate into your professional work, um, into your work um, when you're dealing with premarital couples and when you're dealing with relationship worries and all of that stuff? I think my intuition has really been helpful in my work. Mm-hmm. That being said, and my, and my um, ability to really be self-aware and insightful, um, and understanding people and what people need from their partners or from others in their lives mm-hmm. and what they need from themselves to be healthy and to be successful in what they want to be. Yeah. Um, I feel like why I'm so drawn to the premarital work is because there's so much to be done there in the sense that I think there's people are when you're younger, particularly, right, I think more people are willing to change. That's not to say that other people in other ages of their lives won't change. Mm-hmm. But I think especially in your 20s, let's say, right, I think people are so eager to want to change and want to have the best relationships that they can, but they often don't have a foundation or they don't know how or they don't know a different way, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's so much change that can be done with premarital in the sense that they're still building and growing as people. Mm -hmm. And while marital couples are as well, completely, they might be in a very different stage of their life where certain things are more determined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really found that a lot of the work around premarital work really can shape the couple up, you know, can shape um, their future in a very different way. where couples really have this amazing opportunity to get ahead of any problems that may arise uh, by tackling them earlier on, right? It's almost like early intervention in anything we know is successful. Yeah, I mean... We tackle things earlier, we address them earlier that we, you know, name them. We're able to come up with solutions and ways and strategies to heal. Yeah, definitely. And you were saying off air as well that it's more of a preventative measure than an actual crisis intervention thing, right? Like it's, it's, exactly. uh, mm-hmm. yeah. right. And I think that's why what I think is so different in terms of when I see premarital couples versus marital is 
all the marital couples come in more with a crisis, which mm-hmm. obviously that can be worked through. And, and I'm so honored that any of these couples have chosen me to help them. Um, that being said, I think premarital couples sometimes come up in with a crisis, but more so are trying to navigate um, life transition, life transitions and changes with their current partner. which I think is so amazing because if so many more people who were thinking about getting married or spending, you know, their their future with somebody could get some help and tools, um, on any topic, whatever's concerning them and their relationship, um, it puts them at such a better advantage Mm -hmm. than people who do not get that help. Definitely. It's also a lot easier to be mindful and to be kind of making a conscious effort to having a healthy relationship when you're not in a situation of crisis or when you're not in a survival mode type state with your partner, right? I think there's also more room for you to develop healthy habits in your relationship. So that's definitely, yeah, I think that that's helpful. And so I'd like to, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say that I think what happens is the longer some of these issues go on when they're not addressed, Mm -hmm. the resentment really builds and it's harder. It's not impossible by any means, but it is more challenging Mm -hmm. to deal with that when it's been, 10, 15, 20 plus years of holding on to some of these really negative feelings towards yeah, your partner. Definitely. Versus tackling it when it's year one or year two. Oh yeah, definitely. And then, and like you said, the resentment, I feel like that resentment alone is, is hard to break through. That's, that's a whole separate thing almost, right? It's like, right. A, it's just and, this extra layer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when John Gottman was, um, you know, a researcher around marital couples, when he did his research, he's a therapist a lot of the predictors that he found for divorce or for it was contempt. The majority of it was contempt and criticism. And so, I mean, there's, there's four of them. There's stonewalling, contempt, criticism, and defensiveness. Those are the main four that he has seen in the research that leads to um, unsuccessful marriages. But specifically, I believe the contempt piece and the criticism um, were the biggest indicators of divorce. Yeah. That's interesting. That's super interesting. I mean, yeah, that's really interesting. Okay. I think this, this is a perfect time to ask you the question I wanted to ask you. Um, with that in mind, like when we, if we keep that in mind, um, what are some things that couples can be aware of before they start or before they decide to marry or before they decide to spend their future with someone? What are some things that you've seen anyway in your practice that a lot of premarital couples are going through? Uh-huh. Um, just to clarify, going through... As in um, that they're trying they to... therapy? Sorry? As in why they are coming into couple yes. therapy? What concerns? Sure. Yes. So some around a bunch of different stuff. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's around communication issues like it's almost like they speak a different language. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes they, they often they are maybe disagreeing about a few different things. It might be something simple as like house chores, but they kind of know that it's not really about that. But there's certain things that are coming up and it's almost like they're not speaking the same language. And so a lot of our work is kind of helping them understand how each other's feeling, what's coming up for them mm. and, and understanding why they are responding the way that they are or reacting, I should really say. Right. Um, sometimes it's issues around sex and intimacy stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe one partner doesn't feel as um, pleasured or desired in the way that he or she hopes to be. Um, 
or sex is, is more absent in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I see emotional affairs mm-hmm. in couples work. Um, sometimes it's issues around religion or traditions and how they both view they want to raise a family, mm-hmm. how they want to do things, and they don't have maybe the same um, set of ideal, you know, they don't have this, they're not on the same page exactly about how they want to do that and what that might look like. And so they want support around that. Sometimes it's around issues with in-laws. So one partner may find the other partner's family extremely challenging and that's kind of causing stress around their current relationship. Um, Sometimes I see issues around stress with work. So, you know, maybe one partner is really unhappy with their job and that is causing a huge strain on the relationship. Mm-hmm. Kids, issues around, so not so much with the premarital stuff, but with my clients who and are married who do have kids, especially in the pandemic, are having a really challenging time managing um, their life with their kids and also their life with their partner. Right. And kind of trying to balance that all, which has been really hard. Yeah, um, definitely. Lack of help, you know, in terms of daycare and schools being closed for a while and all of those factors that are now at play. Yeah. I mean, I could see how those would lead to resentment and um, defensiveness and, you know, arguments that would lead to defensiveness and all of that stuff, right? <laughs> and the, the yeah. things that you pointed out before. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, if, 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 you're, if we were to think of things that maybe like a quick list of things that people can keep in mind when they're, when they're um, starting their relationship. Let's say they're in a new relationship, but as in new in terms of, um, you know, they're not, like they haven't been together for years and years and years, but not so new that they do know that they want to be committed for a long time. Like that's pretty much where they're at now and they want to be committed or they want to get married and all of that stuff. What are some things that you could say if to anybody who's listening is wondering if they have anything wrong with their relationship or if there's anything that they should be checking, what are some tips you'd have for those types of concerns? Um, that's a great question. So I guess I would ask that person, you know, do you feel emotionally safe with your partner? Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, do you feel like you can talk to them? Do they comfort you? Do you feel like you can comfort them? What does that look like? Because mm-hmm. I think so much of long-term success in a relationship is feeling emotionally safe, feeling like you can count on your partner. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is one of the most important things as you think about, you know, spending the rest of your life with someone or having a long-term relationship with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you can share your needs with your partner? Do you feel like when you ask for something or you share about something that's important to you, how do they respond? Are they receptive? Do they give you a really hard time when you ask for basic things? Um, what is your communication like? You know, if you're really upset about something and you share that with them, it could be about anything, how do they respond to you? Mm -hmm. I think those are all things that you want to think about in terms of your communication um, to kind of see, you know, how compatible you are in terms of connecting, Right. right? I mean, I think so often we think about compatibility in terms of hobbies or what we like to do, right, in the Mm -hmm. relationship. And I think often a lot of it really for long-term success is a lot about emotional compatibility, not so much around if two people love to go skiing or, 
you know, they're both adventurous or they like music or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's really interesting. Okay. Yep. And I think that's really helpful too. I don't think we always know where to begin, right? Like we, we pass that phase of the, you know, we pass the honeymoon stage and then we're wondering if some of the things we're feeling are normal or not. And I think it's scary too, to think that there might be something wrong. And then we avoid the questions. And then often we're, we're fearing not for nothing, but we're fearing something that isn't there only because we're afraid to address it or we're not addressing it. And there's something that really does need to be addressed. So either way, I think it's important to you know, open up the dialogue and to talk about it and to, you know, maybe go see someone and make sure that everything is, is in check. Like you said, it's a preventative measure, not a crisis intervention situation, right? If possible. So that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. I like that. And, and more so around the fact that couples can go into couples therapy with some sense of an idea, like what they want to work on, Mm -hmm. but they don't have to, they might learn a lot of my couples come in with one specific situation that they want to address. Let's say Mm -hmm. it was, an event that happened that was very stressful for them, right? Yeah. But sometimes they learn, a lot of times, more often than sometimes, they learn kind of other things that they maybe want to improve on together, right? And kind of act like a team. Certain things that kind of maybe they didn't think of initially. Definitely. Yeah, that's, I think, and then that's, that's the most powerful part, right? When they realize all these other things that could possibly, yeah, that's always the best. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's the best in terms of the the, the possible growth, not so fun necessarily at the beginning when it feels like emotional, emotionally flooding, but, but it could be really good in the end. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, and I want to go back to one of the things that you said at the beginning, you said that, um, that you really started focusing on why people, like what, what, how people find their why basically, and how that kind of grabbed your attention a little bit uh, when you were working at, um, at the hospital, you found that that fascinated you a little bit. Um, have you found any overlap with relationships and, uh, the, and the, the way people embark in their relationships, like so a I sense of purpose? When I was working at the hospital, that the quality of people's relationships really helped them cope and survive. Mm-hmm. Um, there was such a parallel between people who are well supported in their communities, whether it was with their romantic partners, friends, you know, having that level of support versus people who didn't. And mm-hmm. obviously, I think, you know, I, I can't, this is just my observation, I, and I think there is actually research on this, but in my experience, I really did find that people who felt connected to their loved ones um, found more peace as they were going through the end of life period, mm-hmm. you know, and as they were reflecting on their life and, you know, cause I worked with a lot of terminal patients who were, you know, entering hospice, let's say, um, the people who had, you know, really good relationships with their friends, their family, their loved ones, they felt like they could communicate, um, well with those people about, you know, all the, all the memories, what they want for them when they're gone, people who are assertive in that way, um, achieved a, a sense of peace that I think was very unique and special um, that not everyone can necessarily achieve, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally not makes because, sense. Not because people aren't capable. I don't mean it in that way. I mean, so, uh, more so that not everybody um, is willing or wants to put in that work to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. That's really interesting. Um, so yeah, that was just my question about wanting to to dive in a little bit to what you had said. I, I was trying to find a way to weave it in, <laughs> but you had said something really interesting. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll just weave it in. But yeah, no, I, I that makes perfect sense. And I think, but there's there's been something about that that I read once. Um, 
they said even with uh, with um, sp- like partners, when one partner passes, that actually, depending on their relationship, like you could tell a lot about what the relationship was based on how the other partner lives after the other one is gone. Um, like often you'd think that you'd think that um, you know that they that remarrying means that they didn't love their spouse, which obviously like you and I might know that that's not the case. But there was talk about how. In fact, you're more likely to have a sense of closure and a sense of being able to move on when you have had a healthy relationship with your partner. There is more ease in that transition period. Right. Do you and find that too? Those, absolutely. And when you've had those conversations, right? A lot of my at my clients at the um, at the hospital, they did talk about you know when I'm gone, you know, it's okay for you to move on. It's okay for you to date again, right? They had those explicit mm-hmm. conversations, which I think for the partner gave that partner so much um, freedom and, um, you know, ability to imagine a life, not that they want to, but that's the reality, right? Mm -hmm. To imagine a life without someone who's dying, right? And so it gave them the freedom and it was almost like, okay, it's okay for me to move on. It's okay for me to have her life when you're not here. You want that for me, yeah, right? Which I know is so hard to imagine for those who are, it also so it's so hard for anyone to imagine when you're in a position of thinking about you know a short time that you've left on this earth and thinking about someone you love not being there you know mm-hmm. and what their life will look like when you're not there yeah no it's true it's it's it is very scary but i think there's also some level of um um, I, I lost the, the word that I wanted to use for this, but I think there's a sense of comfort found in that idea of embarking on this post situation, but with that person still a little bit. Um, and I think when you have those kinds of conversations, it gives you the impression, or at least it gives you the feeling that they're also part of your future, which I think is the biggest fear for someone, right? Is that their partner isn't there anymore. But when you can talk yeah. about the future and what happens after together, it does make you feel like, yes, this person is in fact going to still be with me after this. Do you find that too? Right. Yeah. And yeah. also, how do you want to be honored when you're gone, right? Mm-hmm. What, and what will your legacy look like when you're no longer here? And what, and how can your partner um, uphold that for you, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's a lot of the deep work that I, I had done with um, cancer patients, you know, as they Definitely. Um, embarked on kind of that last phase of their life, mm-hmm. which brings me to my next point around how I've used a lot of that which is in my work is a lot about like values driven work, right? I Mm -hmm. use ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. And a lot of finding out your why, what your meaning is and what's important to you is kind of exploring your values and incorporating them in your life. Yeah, definitely. Um, Have you found, I mean, I'd like for you to expand more on that so that we can talk about that. So if, if anyone isn't familiar with ACT, could you unpack that a little bit for them? So I use ACT a lot. It's a form of psychotherapy and it's a behavioral approach where it's focused on mindfulness, values, and acceptance. Mm-hmm. It treats a lot of different um, things. It treats anxiety. It can treat addiction, um, depression. It's very helpful um, with clients to help them build their psychological flexibility. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also very effective for OCD. Yeah. It's almost like allowing you to have these thoughts without resisting them. That's kind of the premise of that. Okay. Yeah. 
being mindful of your thoughts without judging yourself for having those thoughts right. or judging yourself for thinking about those things as an example. Yeah, for sure. Which I always find these mindfulness-based therapies so helpful in like just laying the groundwork for other things and for other therapies, um, in my opinion, of course, but I always find them very helpful for that. They just create so much space. They really just, I don't know, lay the groundwork for so much work after that. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I've always found Absolutely. That. How ACT works, it's a lot about finding, living a, a rich and meaningful life rather than living a happy life. Because basically when I work with my clients, I try and help them, you know, use their values to help them live what I call a rich and meaningful life rather than a happy life because happy can change in any given moment, right? Mm -hmm. Happy can be very temporary. And so that's kind of the model of act is going towards things that um, are what's important to you and what you value rather than fixating on this temporary emotional state that might make you happy in the moment, but you know, shortly later, something else might happen that takes that away. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting, I like that, the fulfillment over happiness and, and how, and, and obviously you must have seen how that could be helpful in the work that you've done, right? Working with those uh, patients in the, in the hospital and also working with couples as well. Have you seen, basically what I'm saying is <laughs> you must have seen that a lot in the early work that you were doing and it must also show up in these premarital couples who are you know have all this future in front of them and all these hopes and dreams have you found that too yeah absolutely yeah. and I think allowing couples to talk about what it is that they value because sometimes they have different values mm-hmm. and so that might get in the way of some things that they both want right because it's they don't always see their future in the same way especially for premarital couples so working with what they do value together and how they can best support each other in things that maybe they differ on yeah and that also goes back to what you had said at the beginning which was this was one of the common concerns that you've seen in premarital couples and how it can lead to some issues later on so I think even just being aware of it and practicing this can be so helpful for not having those issues later on, right? I mean, you know, you can't control things are going to happen in your relationship, right? They're going to happen. But if you start by at least developing some tools at the very beginning, then you can maybe re- reuse them later on if anything does come up, right? Or when exactly. when things do come up. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not, and I always tell my couples, it's not that you're never going to disagree when you're going to couples therapy or getting help. It's that when you disagree, you're going to be able to repair it quicker yeah. and better so that you both feel more connected, right? It's really all about the repair. Yes, yes. Not so much kind of what the argument was about or what had happened or the kind of logistics around that. Yeah, and I think there's also that stigma, and you were mentioning this off air as well, like that stigma around couples therapy. Again, first of all, I mean, of course you can go if it's a situation of crisis. There's no shame in that either, and we should be ending the stigma around that as well. But that's not all that couples therapy is, right? There's a lot of preventative stuff there, and there's a lot of there are a lot of other reasons to go to couples therapy. It doesn't have to be that there's this huge trauma or this big rupture in the relationship um so could you expand a little bit more on that for listeners yeah i mean couples can come in for any reason it simply can be like look like these are things we sometimes it's just nice to talk through let's say anxieties about the future so many of us have have worries about what the future may hold Mm -hmm. or what life will look like it's normal as you're thinking about getting married let's say right so having an unbiased or objective person to kind of 
be your soundboard and to talk it through with can just really help, yeah. right? As you sort it out, or maybe there's certain topics that you want to bring up with your partner, but you feel a little bit scared to, or you don't know how they're going to respond. Um, so having someone else there to help you navigate that can make it just easier so that you feel like you can, um, talk about things that maybe you would put off talking about for a while. Yeah. And that way, you know, you're dealing with the things that matter to you now, rather than having this conversation. And when you're three years in marriage and you're like, Oh, well, this is always something that's important to me, but I didn't want to speak up about it because of X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And I, I mean, from the sounds of it, it definitely seems like, taking care of these things early on or at least exploring these things early on is what allows you to eventually find meaning in life and in love right it's what allows you to be able to do that exploration like to have that exploration with your partner and with yourself if you've already taken the weeds out right you can actually start planting some new things (laughs) so it's it's important yeah I really like that um what if what if people want to get in touch with you or find you online or work with you um, if they're in your location? How could they go about finding you? Oh, great. Um, so my website is www.prescottpsychotherapy.com and my Instagram handle is prescott.therapy.wellness. Perfect. Okay. I'll put all of this in the show notes as well. I just wanted everyone to have a reference. Um, and so they can find you there. And where are you located again? In New York. In New York, right. Okay, so that's going to be good for all our New York listeners. <laughs> um, great. Awesome. So I will, I just want to thank you, actually, for being on the show today and for all your wonderful insight into these topics. And just thank you so, so much. <laughs> thank you so much for having me.